0: issue for all women. Hello there, Mickey here. For this portion of Sunday Chops, I caught up with the absolutely amazing Barbara lissicky comedian, fierce disability activist, and proud protest t-shirt wearer. First things first, if you are listening to this Sunday AM and you're in that London, do go see Barbara's Fest event, 10 T's A Brief History of Disability Activism, at 12.30pm at The Hatton. If you can't make that, keep an eye on Barbara's Twitter, which is at Wanda underscore Barbara, because she'll be taking a full-on comedy version of the show on the road next year. Back to this conversation. We chatted about all sorts of stuff, particularly what she and various allies got up to in their ongoing quest to change the narrative around people with disabilities who are so often treated with pity or looked at as lesser. Bullshit, right? Right. So, revel in Barbara's telling of the glory that is the Piss on Pity t-shirt and accompanying campaign, and some of the other brilliant and ultimately lawmaking activism Barbara got up to with Dan, the Disabled People's Direct Action Network. And, like me, probably find yourself nodded along with why she hates children in need quite so much. Over on Chopso Numero Duo, because we're double-dosing these bad boys this week, you're welcome, Hannah's chatting about being a publishing sensation, adapting a book for the screen and how to spot an Ashlyn with Irish authors Sarah Breen and Emma McClyssett. But over here, now, brace yourself for the absolute badass that is Barbara Lissicky. Hey Barbara. Hi. Man, you have led the life and I've got stuff that I need to ask you. Can we start by talking about the disability arts movement that you were involved in? And I'm ashamed to say it, I never really heard of until... Basically, until I knew I was talking to you, could you tell us a little bit about it, please? I can. I'd say the disability art movement is, or began, as a
1: pretty British phenomenon. It was disabled people who were also working as artists, performers, across loads of different art forms, who were also involved in the disability rights movement which started to emerge in, I would say, the early 1980s, from the early to (laughs) mid-1980s. And there had been stuff going on before, but I think the mid-1980s was when it started to come together and also feel more angry. I think that finally, disabled people who had been for decades relegated to the sidelines, ignored, and not seen amongst all the other movements, you know, black liberation movement, women's liberation movement, disabled people weren't in there and our issues weren't ever considered. There was an element of exclusion. And so disabled people said, right, well, this needs to change. And so we went about trying to change that. But also, it fed into, you know, the artistic process as well, it was spread like wildfire, because there was just a real appetite for it. I mean, there, there was just such a lot of enthusiasm. But also, people were angry and frustrated. And people really want to change. And I, I actually think that the arts can be an element that leads to change. Well, you guys got shit done. Well, we did get shit done. (laughs) I mean, one of the things that I think that captures that the most vehemently is that in 1992, we held a 1,500-2,000-strong action against what was then the ITV Telephone. And the ITV telethon was just really disgusting, excruciating, horrible 27-hour pity fest that the ITV channels broadcast every two years. And we'd started in 1990 when um, me and my partner at the time, we were a, was a musician, and performance per we were approached by some young disabled people in Ealing in um, West London who said we can't stand it there's another telephone coming up what can we do and we'd already had some protests against children in need because again children in need you know everybody thinks oh how heartwarming how lovely how wonderful we should give money to these unfortunate people but you know nobody ever asked the question Why are they in need? What is actually causing this? Mm -hmm. And why are we reacting with pity instead of with fury? And so we wanted to change that narrative. And we also absolutely challenged and questioned the kind of imagery that was being put out there by the broadcasters who have a really powerful role in how disabled people are perceived.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: And so we said, you can't carry on doing this. You don't have our permission But who they did collude with, and again, potentially controversial, they were working with the traditional disability charities. So you had all the kind of, you know, impairment-specific charities, so, you know, the blind deaf, everybody else, um, muscular dystrophy, every single impairment's got a charity that goes along with it. And it's always, you know, that's because we're there to help you. Most of them spend their money on research, You know, they've been researching, like, cures for all these things for, like, the last 50 years, and um, we're still here, and we're still not cured, so they haven't done that well. But they do keep a lot of people in good jobs with high salaries.
0: I think the narrative around people with disability is so interesting and so bedded in this this pity, this unnecessary pity. Yeah. For the grace of God, go I. And it's so off-putting, the way people with disabilities are talked about as sort of someone to look down on and to be pitied. I'm glad you're furious.
1: But we also, a part of what we said, we're going to create a representation that doesn't make you feel like that, that makes you look at us and say, wow, that's powerful. And that's why, you know, when we were, I mean, because I was part of setting up down the Disabled People's Direct Action Network, and um, we had two campaigns running concurrently, but we were very focused. One campaign, and this was in the mid-1990s, from 1992, we'd, we'd mobilised all these thousands of disabled people to come and protest against Telethon. And we said, what are we going to do with this? We've, you know, we've got all these people together. We <laughs> can't let that go to waste. What do we do next? So we set up Dan, and we were very clear. We said, we're going to campaign for accessible transport and a law that makes it illegal or unlawful to discriminate against disabled people because we had no legal recourse to any kind of discrimination. You know, we had, as Dan, we did loads of actions, like there was a cafe in Camden Town who chucked out two wheelchair users because they said they took up too much space. And then the next time they went back, they didn't quite get the message, they went there again for a cup of tea and a, you know, currant bun. And the, the proprietor had actually put a notice up above the counter in this cafe that had a wheelchair symbol and a line through it, like a no entry symbol Fucking or out. the road sign. I wish I was joking, I'm not, this was real. And so they got in touch with us and said, what do we do now? And we said, oh well, you know, don't worry about it, we'll get some people together. So we were quite imaginative in our actions because what we did was we got like 30 people together in a couple of days. We went down to Camden Town and we had a picnic across the doorway of this cafe. <laughs> And, you know, a nice gingham tablecloth, like, tea and cakes. And we did it properly. But people couldn't get in the door, obviously. But we also had flyers that we handed out to people explaining why we were there and what the problem was. And we were demanding that, firstly, um, and most importantly, that the guy took the sign down. Secondly, that he apologised to the two people he'd kicked out, but also to the rest of us, and that he he wouldn't do it again. And so... We lost business for several hours that day. One of our chance was, we're down, we'll be back, get used to it. And we did go back. We were organised enough to be able to bring people together at pretty short notice and go and take action where it was needed. And we did it in loads of places. We did it at the Holloway Odeon. And Jeremy Corbyn came and joined our protest because it was in his constituency. Because some young disabled people who used to go to that cinema, they got a new manager in. They'd been going there two years, these kids. They got a new manager in and all of a sudden he decided they were a fire risk and there were too many of them and he didn't want them there anymore. So we just went, on a Monday evening, we went and blocked the doors of the cinema. The the bouncers roughed us up. I mean, they didn't care. And we just made a human chain around all the doors, explained to people again why we were there. We got the press involved. We always got really, really good press coverage, you know, print media and TV and stuff and radio. And um, we gradually started to bring out evidence to members of the public about the the type and level of discrimination Mm -hmm. that disabled people were facing. At the time, we had no law that allowed us any kind of legal rebuff or recourse um, to the people that were doing it. In my opinion, often the law is a bit clunky, and I, I don't think that the law that we've got now does enough. I think we need a much stronger, more robust law. And I'm not just talking about just on disability. I'm talking about on race and gender as well and sexuality and and the other sort of, you know, areas of discrimination.
0: I was going to ask you about that, actually. So thank you for bringing it up. Because I imagine when you were bringing this to the awareness of the general public that they were surprised that it was going on.
1: Well, yeah, because they had been fed the idea and the imagery that disabled people with these sort of sad, pathetic people that weren't capable of anything. And we proved them wrong. We just said, you know, well, actually, when we did the transport campaign, we're handcuffing ourselves to buses and we're refusing to move and we only move when we get arrested. And we did make a conscious decision that we would go for arrest. And funnily enough, the police did have to de-arrest some people because they couldn't get some of the heavier, bigger wheelchairs the electric wheelchairs into their (laughs) legans. so they say you're arrested oh wait no you're (laughs) (laughs) de-arrested that's lovely (laughs) and and, and that that happened quite a few times and i mean we had some brilliant people you know i just i heard last week that one of our brothers in arms one of the big dan people chris hughes died and it's always like it's heartbreaking he was always there And we got people from all over the UK, and he lived in Derbyshire, but he was there, and we had actions. We had an action in Derby on Chris's Manor. It wasn't just about London. It was, you know, the discrimination happened everywhere. Mm -hmm. And we also advised local groups. We did training for people. So we said, this is how you do an action. And we were, you know, we were pretty well organized as time went by. We managed to get more and more people involved and said, right, you know, you've got the skills. Now you go and get other people involved. And that's what you have to do. You know, the same leadership can't sort of stay there forever. You need to spread that around and you need to make sure that other people can do it as well. Otherwise, it just becomes a big ego trip. It just becomes about megalomania and not about the thing you started off with which is about, you know, making tangible changes. For me, it was always, always about changing it. You know, we got rid of the telephone after that big demo in 1992. There was never another telephone after that, you know, and I'd like to have the same result if I'm honest with children in need. And I'm always, you know, when I go on radio and I argue against children in need, everybody thinks you're a big party pooper, you know, oh, you're you're so callous, you're so cruel, you know, how can you not want to give money to these kids? And I'm saying, I want them not to be homeless. I want government policy not to punish them from being in the lowest 20% of income brackets. You know, that's what's going on. The government and other policymakers aren't actually making sure that there is enough accessible housing for these young people to be able to live with some dignity and make some choices about their lives. And instead, what they do is they stick them away in segregated schools And then after that, they find some other segregated institution to put them in. And, you know, they they don't have the resources that they need to live. That's what offends me. The fact that I'm not in favour of a charity that I think really puts out problematic imagery and doesn't make any change at all, apart from four individuals. And the thing about charity is, you know, we've got it, the National Lottery. It is exactly a lottery. You have to be deserving enough.
0: I guess that's where the pity comes in, isn't it? It's like, who do we feel most sorry for? And do you know what? They've changed their tactics. I mean, you know, they don't go so much for the pity
1: card anymore. But it is still about these kids. You know, one of the things that makes me most crazy, furious, is the young carers' stuff. A young person that has to look after a disabled parent, to me, epitomises every single thing that's wrong with this society. That A young person doesn't get the chance to be a young person, to go to school and whatever. You know, I'm a parent. There is no way on earth that I would ever, ever allow something like that to happen. But, you know, I have knowledge. I have knowledge and I can also, I have other people that I can can campaign with and I can fight with to make sure that doesn't happen. But there are people that don't know what they're entitled to. They don't know that they can go to their local authorities and get a proper support package put in place where they can choose who comes into their home. Because what people don't want is some stranger coming into their home Mm -hmm. telling them what time they can get up, what they can eat and when they should eat it and what time they should go to bed, which is usually seven o'clock. I understand why people are resistant to that model of care. But another thing we campaigned on was independent living and saying you don't get to make choices about how we live. We do.
0: What is the current state of disability rights in the UK? It's bad. Yeah, I thought you were going to say that, yeah. I think the current government itself, they have
1: absolutely laid into disabled people. Mm-hmm. DLA, Disability Living Allowance, was a benefit that was... Always has been fit for purpose to a greater or lesser extent, but mostly it has been, and it's been quite well targeted in the past. And the government, for political reasons, the Tories, I'm going to just say as it is, the Tories decided to introduce a new benefit in its place called PIP, personal independence payment, which is the biggest joke out that you know, it, it, it bears no relation to any of that. The underlying agenda that they had was to just cut the number of people receiving disability living yeah. allowance, even though I think, like I said, it was really well targeted, so nobody that shouldn't be getting it was getting it. The process to get it was rigorous. It wasn't something that you could just get at the drop of a hat. It was a rigorous application. And I don't mind that to some extent because I think we do need to sort of weed out people that are trying it on, but people were getting it. And now with the introduction of PIP, people that should be getting this benefit and keeping this benefit are losing it because they're getting bad assessments. And the reason they're getting bad assessments is rather than giving the money to disabled people, the Tories have spent hundreds of millions of pounds on paying private companies like Athos and Capita to go in and carry out assessments of disabled people. And they're using people that have got no knowledge or skills. They, they, they're just like a private company that has got the contract because they're mates with the Tories.
0: Oh, it's laughable apart from the fact of how many lives it's destroying. Well,
1: it, people's lives are being massively, massively impacted by this. You know, people who used to get um, the mobility component of DLA... Are getting it removed. They're failing their PIP assessments, and they're, they're they're getting cars their cars taken away. And you know, for some people, their car is how they get to work. Mm-hmm. And if they don't have a car to get to work, then they can't work. So then that actually pushes them back into unemployment and further poverty. You know, that statistically, disabled people are among, amongst the poorest in society. Because there's loads and loads of research that has shown that it's actually more expensive to be a disabled person in a society that I would, you know, plenty of people would call disabling. We live in a society that's full of barriers where disabled people are very lowly regarded and government policy is making it worse. Tory policy is making that even more difficult. If you're unemployed and you're home all day and it's a cold winter, you're going to put your heating on. Mm -hmm. So your heating bills are going to cost you a lot more than the average person because you can't just put an extra jumper on and that's okay because if you get too cold, that'll make you ill. Some people need specific food to maintain their well-being. And I haven't even started on mental health. I mean, I think people with mental health diagnoses are some of the worst affected and most discriminated against with a lot of these changes that have taken place and none of these assessment companies these private companies have got a clue what they're doing when it comes to mental mental health and neither do any government ministers
0: It feels like PIP has just sent everything backwards.
1: Yeah they made these crap statements, I can't remember who said it it might have been Cameron or you know one, one of the fools that said something like oh if you can press the button you're fit to work you just think anybody has the idiocy to be able to come out with a statement like that you know what what are they even doing making massive decisions about other people's lives
0: let's put them through a series of tests
1: well yeah i mean i'm sure there's plenty of tests i could set and they wouldn't pass
0: <laughs> i would but, back that
1: yeah the humanity test one for one
0: yeah i don't think any of them had passed
1: no, indeed. I think they'd all, uh, you know, epic fail and then we could get rid of them.
0: Hello, Jen here. All we want for Christmas is for you to follow us on Twitter, please. <laughs> <laughs> or indeed Instagram. We don't ask much. Or Facebook. I quite like a car. <laughs> or just subscribe to this podcast. That'd be lovely. You can find us on Twitter at Standard Issue UK, Facebook, whatever that is then standard issue magazine facebook.com forward slash standard issue magazine cheers mick and on instagram we are standard issue podcast thank you very much what's instagram let's have a little chat about 10 T's, a brief history of disability activism which is what you're talking about at his fest Now then, I know you're quite a big fan of protest t-shirts and that is what this is about. Can you tell us a bit more please?
1: Well, with Dan, they're all the old Dan t-shirts and and I've got some others but I'm focusing on Dan for this one because I'm just looking at the UK protest movement of disabled people. I decided to do it a while back. um, I was invited to go and speak at an event for Disability History Month and I went along and I I thought, "How, how can I do it in a different way? How can I get sort of more interest and I decided I dug out all my old damn t-shirts and I thought you know what these are, they're artworks in their own right Mm -hmm. because you know we used to have different people who were artists designing them We've got some really, really good designs. My favourite one is the one that the very first one we had made for the Block Telethon demo in 1992, and it said, Piss on Pity.
0: Great slogan.
1: Uh, It's a brilliant slogan, and we've kept it going, and there's a whole Piss on Pity thing going now. And, and, you know, it's reached America and people have Piss on Pity t-shirts over there. And every time anybody sees me wearing mine, they want one. And how that came about is because we were making placards for the anti-telethon demo, the block telethon demo. And we were making these placards. Somebody just made one. I think it was Johnny Crescendo made one that said Piss on Pity. And we took it. It was just this lone placard. And we took it on the action. And the police said, that's offensive and confiscated it. <laughs> <laughs> So, the following time, when we had the next demo, we said, Right, well, we had 100 t shirts made and said they can't make us take our t shirts off. So, that's what we did. We just had huge lettering, black background, vivid, shocking pink lettering, piss on pity. And with that in mind, I thought, You know, I can tell the stories of the protest through the t-shirts. And so I tried it out at this event at Disability History Month and everybody else was showing their PowerPoint slides and all that and then me just like, I got my mate Jill Crawshaw, cause she was, she was at this event. I said, Jill, I need you Put these t-shirts on one by one and then wonder about wearing them and people can have a good look at them and the slogans and whatever. And then I'll just talk about what that t-shirt was connected to, what action it was, what we did what our demands were and what our successes, and I want to celebrate the successes we had because we got accessible transport we got a law that made it unlawful to discriminate against disabled people you know those gains have been slipping back and the sorrow I have about it now is that younger disabled people they're not as furious as we were and so they're they're not picking it up they're not saying we need to get back out on
0: the streets Why do you think they're not as angry?
1: We made it too bloody comfortable for them
0: (laughs) (laughs) We got the law passed. They can get out and get on a bus. They can even get on, on a
1: on a tube in London. You know, the Metro in Manchester and Newcastle and all these places. It's accessible. The trams are accessible. And not just for wheelchair users, but also for visually impaired people. So now they have announcements, Mm -hmm. but for people with hearing impairments, they have the visual display. So, you know, our, our thing always was, you know, we're not just talking about wheelies. We're not just talking about, the you know, those with mobility impairments. We're talking across the board about disabled people who find that the transport system is full of barriers. And so we said, we need to do it. We need a comprehensive approach to this. And that's what we did. But the fight
0: still needs to be happening, right?
1: Without doubt, I think more than ever. I mean, I think the Tories in the last eight years have absolutely hammered disabled people. And, you know, I'm at the stage where, you know, I thought, I'd quite like to have a quiet life. And I mean, I don't do nothing. I do all sorts of stuff. And I do a lot of advocacy for people, you know, and I'm campaigning locally. And I'm doing all that. But it seems to me, I'm having conversations now with having, you know, we need to get back out there. We need to make ourselves more visible. And there is an organization that got set up a number of years ago called DEPA, which is Disabled People Against the Cuts. And I think they've done some really, really good work, but they don't have the approach that Dan had, which is, We are going to be out on the streets and we are going to refuse to move and we're going to make everybody take notice and we're going to make them arrest us if we have to. I mean, every single person that was arrested on a Dan action knew that that's, you know, what they were risking. I had a two-year-old baby, you know, a four-year-old kid at the time, and I was like, oh my God. If I get arrested, I might be able to get overnight back up. <laughs> if I get sent down, that might be three or six months that makes it a little bit more difficult. And, of course, if you're a disabled parent, you, you risk kind of getting social services sniffing around saying you're unfit because you're, you're going around out there getting arrested instead of looking after your kid. There were all sorts of issues and dangers that I had to, to think through when I was doing this, but it's too important not to do it. And I still feel that. I think well, if we, if some of us that are, if we, you know, the seasoned campaigners, the ones that have done it for a long time, if we get back out there, it might inspire young people to do it too, young disabled people and non-disabled people. You know, we always welcomed allies and people that supported what we were talking about on the actions, as long as they understood that disabled people were the leaders and that we were in charge. When, when you have an action where you break the law, you've got to trust a really small number of people to tell you what to do because mm-hmm. you can't put it out there what you're going to do.
0: You need to get that T-shirt back on, Barbara. Oh, all of them. I mean, there were some <laughs> brilliant ones. you know.
1: So, you know, I'll be talking about 10 T's at History Fest. I'll be talking about the We Will Ride, which was the campaign transport one. And we didn't make that up. We just nicked it from the States because we, we visited Adapt in America That's a fantastic direct action disabled people's group that's still going and they've got what they call chapters all over the state. They are extraordinary and they will just sit and block a doorway and they'll go into one of the state governor's offices and just park themselves there and stay there for four days and not (laughs) let the governor out either. (laughs) They say, you know, these are our demands and either you support our demands or, you know, nobody's going anywhere. (laughs)
0: I love it, I love it so much
1: we actually went to this Tory MP's garden who blocked um, anti-discrimination legislation, one of the attempts at it and this was in Christchurch this was on the very beginnings and we actually just sat in his garden and said "You're, you're treacherous and you've completely voted the wrong way and we want an explanation about why you've done this
0: and did you get one? And so of course
1: we didn't use a Tory. <laughs> oh, God. They're not interested in explanations. They're just interested in what's good for them.
0: So how do we help? How do individuals in society get this all going again? What can we do? I think that we've
1: raised the profile of disabled people and the issues for disabled people. They're there more than they used to be. Tanya Lee Davis, she had the issue on the train, didn't yeah, she? yeah. About the sea, there's all of that. I mean, see, the thing is, we didn't have social media when we were doing our, our dance yeah. up in the mid 90s. We just had to do it, sort of old school. But now social media is bringing a lot more stuff to people's attention. But I can turn on the six o'clock news, and there's the guy Justin Levine. There's a real issue about disabled people on on uh, airports and on airplanes, and he couldn't get a chair that he could self-propel when he got off a flight at Luton Airport and the airline had managed to leave his own wheelchair behind and they wanted to put him in this crappy chair and be pushed by somebody else and he said, no, I want you to get me a chair I can push and they said, we don't have one. So, to make the point, he dragged himself along the floor from the aeroplane right down into the arrivals hall where he got a luggage trolley and sort of managed to get himself wheeled along on the luggage trolley but that made mainstream news now that wouldn't have that wouldn't have happened in the past and especially because the airport was arguing this guy's being unreasonable we've offered him a wheelchair there's nothing more we can do and he said no but what he was saying is that i don't want you patronizing me and pushing me Mm -hmm. around i have the capability and the capacity to push myself and you can't provide me with the equipment to do that so the debate has been raised to a sort of a Another level in some ways, which is that this isn't just about providing any old crappy facilities or services for disabled people. This is about listening to what we want and making that provision. And he was going to sue Luton Airport. But since then, they've bought 10 new wheelchairs with with wheels that a disabled person can push for themselves. And so he said, Justin said, I'm satisfied, I'm, I, I won't sue him anymore. You know, because it was never about me personally getting money or anything like that. It was just about them understanding that they can't get away with this really basic, crappy service that isn't what disabled people want or need.
0: So there are small victories, but I guess they. That's
1: the problem. They're yeah. small individual victories, and we need to go back to a position where we are influencing and making changes to the bigger stuff, the big stuff. I mean, the other thing is we've now got people like Baroness Campbell and Baroness Tanny Gray Thompson in, in the House of Lords. I mean, you know, me and Baroness Campbell, like my mate Jane, you know, she did it one way, I did it the other. The chance of me being a Baroness is absolute below zero. But, you know, I trust people like Jane and Tanny to go in there and raise the issues at that level of government. I'm happy that I don't even agree with the House of Lords, you know, as an institution. But, you know, while it exists, if they're going to be in there, they can do that.
0: Yeah, getting your voice heard, that's the thing. Yeah, we need it all over the place. But, you know, I always think the most authentic way
1: to get our voice heard is to talk to real disabled people who are actually living this stuff day in, day out, and who are being impacted about these horrible policies that are, are so oppressive and so discriminatory towards disabled people. We've got to make that really clear. I mean, I'm currently campaigning locally about stuff that's that, you know, proposals that are, will hurt disabled people. And I'm saying, you can't do it. It's not going to happen. Not on my watch. I think that's what I want to see more of, really, is I want young people to be able to say, I need to look out for other people, not just myself.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know, it isn't just being in your cosy little bubble, It's not enough. You know, others put themselves on the line for you. Now you need to do the same for the next generations. We're a long way away from getting it right.
0: I think it's about opening your eyes and your awareness. Like when you walk into a room, just take a moment to go, could everyone I know get into this room? Yeah. Well, I travel.
1: I do do a lot of travel with my work. I've just come back from Azerbaijan. I can't actually roll more than a block in fact, I can only roll a block and then I get to a massive Great Steve kerb and I can't get down that kerb. And this is in the capital city of Baku. The same, I was, I was working in Jakarta in sort of October. Again, I can't get around there. I'm actually wheeling along on the road with cars coming towards me, taking <laughs> my life in my hands. Because it's the only way I can actually move around anywhere in that city. I look at what's happening here, but then I look at what's happening in other parts of the world. And I think, wow, I need to shut up sometimes because actually I worked with young deaf people in Jakarta making a theater piece and to to which was performed at uh, a festival. And it it was amazing and they were superb and and brilliant. They were lucky or you know, I was lucky. I was lucky to work with them, but also because we were given the resources by the British council. And we made this theatre piece. But what what I was doing was telling their stories. And as young deaf people, every single one of them had experienced discrimination from when they were really young. Mm -hmm. And then on top of that, because of the poverty in Southeast Asia and what else goes on there... Three out of the four of them that I was working with I had lost parents really young. They're dealing with the not having parents, not having an automatic right to education, so many other things, and massive discrimination in employment.
0: I mean, yeah, please don't shut up, Barbara, because you need to keep talking about this. <laughs> I, I don't intend to. I, I think I'm genetically <laughs> coded. <laughs> Just kicking
1: up, you know, kicking out, making, and making a noise. And, you know, I feel lucky that I can do it reasonably well. You know, and I can do it through my comedy and I can do it through my writing and I can do it politically. And as long as I can do that, I will do it. And I hope I can sort of motivate other people to do
0: it too. I want one of them T-shirts. Where do I get one of the T-shirts? I need to get some more made. Are you talking about Piss on Piss? Yeah, I think they'd sell really well and get the word out I do too. And you know what?
1: When I get my website up, I'm going to order another couple of hundred and then just log them on the website, yeah give me a few weeks to get it together but they make great Christmas presents wouldn't they
0: absolutely who doesn't want to piss on Betty's t-shirt for Christmas
1: <laughs> who doesn't and also it gets people talking that's the other thing you're wearing it you've actually got this thing emblazoned across your chest and next time you can say you know are you looking at my tips or are you looking at my slogan <laughs> Just get that conversation going whichever way you can't lose <laughs> <laughs> so watch this space because we are going to you know new year It is going to start
0: out with a vengeance. New Year, New Dan. New Year, New Dan, absolutely. (laughs) Where can people find you on the internet and give you a follow? Yeah, you can follow me on Facebook and on Twitter.
1: I'm putting together a new website right now with sort of new bits of video of my i did a gig the other week i've started to gig again i took a big break from going out doing stand-up when i finished completely writing the new show the comedy show 10 tees i'm going to take that out on the road but in the meantime follow me on twitter and facebook
0: amazing thank you so much for talking to me it's been a real pleasure thank you very much for asking hi
1: Hannahhead. i know you're probably busy with the christmas shopping But just to let you know, if you've fallen out with a friend and you've got a fiver that you were going to spend on their Christmas present, but you know, fuck them, you can give that £5 to us via our Patreon site, which is www.patreon.com. And we would be really grateful because it would help us continue to make the sort of content that you appear to enjoy. Thanks very much.
0: Standard issue for all women.